What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Guiding Keys, the story of Kingdom Hearts presented by the Unlockables podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, my name is Eric, and I am your host on this wonderful journey that we are taking through the Kingdom Hearts series and through the mind of series creator Tetsuya Nomura. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, it's so great to have you on board wherever, whenever, in time and space you might be located. We are in the middle of the series, roughly in the middle of the series, and we are talking today again, once again, about Birth by Sleep, one of the most important games in the series so far. It does a lot of reframing of everything we think we know and sets up the overarching story that will take us to the conclusion of Kingdom Hearts 3. I would like to offer a quick warning, though. If you're jumping in on this episode, it's probably good to jump in on part one of Birth by Sleep, where we discuss Tara's story, because not only do we discuss Tara's story in the first part, we go over all the other usual information that I provide about the game, the development history, when it was released, kind of what its contemporary review scores are, units sold, uh, some of my thoughts on it, kind of break down the gameplay. So all that stuff combined with Terra's story are actually going to make part one probably the longest episode in this mini arc of games, uh, in this mini arc of, of Birth by Sleep. So with the coming up stories, with Ven's story, which we're going to cover today, and Aqua's story, which we're going to cover a couple weeks from now, uh, we have the advantage of having all of that information with all the information that we get from part one and Terra's story kind of setting the foundation of the rest of Birth by Sleep, we'll be able to dive into Ven's story right away and break down all the stuff that happens uh, on his path. We don't have to spend an hour breaking down all the introductory information because we've already done that in part one. So it'll so probably be a little bit of a shorter episode. But Ven's story is probably one of the most, if not the most important story arc that happens in this game. As far as characters go, I don't think Ven is the strongest out of the trio. I think that goes to Aqua. I think when you look at it, if you're looking for a, a true main character of this game, I think you can make the argument that Aqua is the true main character of, of Birth by Sleep for reasons we'll get into when we touch on her story. And it's kind of why I'm leaving her story for last, because it ends up impacting the narrative arc of this game the most. But the information we get from Ven's story, I think think sets up a lot of the future titles going forward and it really reframes a lot of the things we think we know about the series main protagonist overall and that would be Sora. Ven's story is going to set up some things that kind of impact Sora in his youth and some things that will come into play as he begins his own journey when the Keyblade essentially chooses him when Destiny Islands are destroyed. So interesting things coming from Ven's story. So without Further ado, without risk of me rattling on here, let's dive into Ven's story.
before we start talking about his story specifically, there are some things we know going into Ven's story that we picked up from playing Terra's. So let me just run down the bullet points real quick of, of things you should know or keep in the back of your mind as we're going through Ven's story. Uh, Ven apparently used to be trained by Master Xehanort, and during that training, Xehanort separated the darkness in Ven's heart, creating a being of pure darkness called Vanitas. Ven has no memory or a very, very spotty memory of this time that he was trained by Master Xehanort or even before he was training with Master Xehanort. So he pretty much doesn't really remember anything before he came to the Land of Departure. And we all know that Xehanort brings him to the Land of Departure. When Xehanort goes to extract the darkness from Ven's heart, this damages Ven's heart, which is mysteriously healed by a brand new passing heart when Xehanort goes to leave him on Destiny Islands to die which then prompts Xehanort to take Ven to Ericus for safekeeping and training. Keep that in mind because that plot point hasn't paid off yet. You might think it's kind of like a throwaway, but that meeting between Ven and this supposed new heart is actually very important. So keep that in the back of your mind. We know somewhat of Xehanort's ultimate plan is to have Ven and Vanitas clash to forge something called a Keyblade, not the Keyblades that we're used to that you know, Sora and the others wield. It's the Keyblade spelled X-Blade, X being the Greek letter key, or Kai as it is pronounced. That is how it is spelled with the Greek letter. It is the ultimate key. How that plays into his ultimate plan, we're not really sure. What the ultimate key actually does, we're not really sure, and how... Ven has that ability to create it. We're not really sure. We're going to cover that stuff in, in this part. We know Terra's fate at the end of his story, but we don't know what happens to Ventus and Aqua, which we will find out here. So if you recall back at the end of Terra's story, at the end of that Titanic clash with Vanitas and Master Xehanort, the only thing that we know is that Terra had lost his body to Master Xehanort and his Basically, Will, his subconscious to carry on, was embodied in his suit of armor, which is now just kneeling, waiting in the in the Keyblade graveyard for something. Don't know. And all he says is that he promises to Aqua and Ven that he will make things right, and then credits roll. We don't know any more what happens beyond this conflict than that, because that is the part where Terra's story comes to a close. Since a lot of the things in each character's stories are intertwined, we'll see some of the things that happened to Terra from Ven's point of view. We'll see similar cutscenes. We'll see similar encounters, but just from Ven's perspective, which leads to a lot of repeating of, of information and stuff like you'll see here when we dive into Ven's story. We'll talk about the Mark of Mastery exam again, how they all leave the land of departure. A lot of that stuff is all similar to what I've already told you, just with a little bit more info sprinkled on. So keep that in mind. It's highly, highly recommended that you go back and listen to Terra's part to get that foundation of knowledge. So when I go, yeah, this happened in part one, this is what Ven sees, or this is Ven's perspective on it. It's really important to have that part one knowledge. Highly recommend going to listen to it. I know it's over two hours, but just suck it up and do it. So with that introductory information out of the way, those reminders, let's talk about Ven's story proper. And as we know, everything that happens in the story starts the day of the Mark of Mastery exam in the Land of Departure. So like I said, we know how most of this plays out from Terra's story. The friends see a meteor shower. Terra and Aqua have the Mark of Mastery exam. Only Aqua succeeds because Terra gives in momentarily to the darkness in his heart to try and gain the power to win the fight against Aqua. Uh, Terra goes off by himself where he begins to be 
manipulated by Master Xehanort. We know that the catalyst behind Aqua and Terra's departure from the Land of Departure, they are taxed by Master Ericus with destroying the Unverse, which are these monsters that are the physical embodiment of negative emotion that have begun popping up in all the worlds, and they are also tasked with locating Master Xehanort. But we don't really know the reason why Ven leaves. He kind of alludes to the fact that we see when he runs into Terra throughout Terra's adventure that he's chasing after Terra, you know, he's just following him throughout the worlds. But now we'll really see what caused Ven to kind of disregard Ericus's orders and go off into the worlds by himself. So after Terra fails the test, Ven returns to his room and he's looking up at the ceiling. He is swinging a wooden keyblade that looks like Terra's that has Terra's name carved into the handle. So it's obviously something that Terra gave him when suddenly... As in Terra's story, we hear the bells start ringing, and this occurred when Xehanort and Terra were having their discussion on the steps of, of the building where they are doing the training. So Ven obviously knows this means that there's like an emergency or something's going on. He goes to run out of his room, but before he can run out of his room, the boy in the mask appears suddenly, the one we know as Vanitas. Better hurry, Ventus. Huh? Who are you? Or you'll never see Terra again. What? Get real. I can see Terra anytime I want. Like right now? He's leaving you behind. And by the time you catch up, he'll be a different person. Look, whoever you are, you don't know the first thing about Terra. Me and him will always be a team. Trying to pick a fight or what? No, oh, grow up. Is that what you call friendship? You'll never know the truth unless you go out and look for it yourself. Come on, what could you possibly know when you're stuck here looking at nothing but what's in your tiny world? After this, Vanitas opens a portal and, and disappears. And this is where we see the scene from Terra's point of view uh, on the flip side of Ven, when Ven rushes outside just in time to see Terra leaving, like we saw in his story. But shortly after Terra leaves, hesitating for only a moment, Ven activates his armor, summons his own Keyblade glider, and he gives chase after Terra, too worried about what Vanita said will happen to Terra. And as Ven makes for the lanes between, Aqua calls his name as he flies away trying to stop him, but to no avail. So we see here that Vanitas plays on Ven's fears about his relationship with Terra to basically kick him out of the nest. Ven was already worried about Terra after he failed the exam, so Vanitas' timing was pretty good. And knowing what we know from Terra's story, we kind of see Xehanort and Vanitas working in tandem together to get Terra and Ven out from under the eyes of Ericus. And obviously they would know too that this would force Aqua into the world and kind of start the, driving this wedge in between all three of them because you're outnumbered, you know, in order for your plan to work, you divide the, the close-knit group of friends, kind of pit them, turn them against each other. So with this, we have all three of our main protagonists out in the world and Ven begins to systematically go to all the worlds that Terra visited in his story, it's the same world. It's basically the same same progression. I visited the worlds in the same order. I think there's a bit different order you can visit them in. And obviously, the heroes are in the worlds at different points in time because we'll see in Ven's story, some things get referenced that Terra does. And it's like Terra did these things and Ven shows up and kind of finds out about it. And that kind of 
drives this distrust that Aqua builds towards Terra, and we'll see that in her story. Ven's experience in the dwarf woodlands is different than Terra's, and we experience a different part of the world than he does. Whereas Terra explores the queen's castle and the surrounding fields, Ven ends up at the dwarves' mine. And when he goes in to find out what's going on and, and try and establish where he is, the dwarves are immediately suspicious of him and accuse him of being a jewel thief. You play a mini game in the game where you find all the dwarves are playing hide and seek, and they basically tell him to like get the fuck out of their minds. So disheartened, Ven goes to leave, and he asks where he can find more people, and the dwarves tell him about the castle in the distance. On his way to the castle, he passes the home of the dwarves and through the dark forest where he encounters Snow White, who is terrified of her surroundings. It's a it's a dark forest. It's full of blues. She said the trees came to life and tried to attack her, and Ven comforts her and escorts her back to the home of the dwarves so she can be safe, and you have this escort mission where you have to escort her through the forest while these trees and unversed are literally trying to come and kill her. Well, Snow White seems to trust Ven when they all reunite at the dwarves' home. The dwarves do not. Snow White explains the situation, how she ended up there in the first place, about how she was simply picking flowers and a stranger with a sword shaped like a key startled her and suddenly the Unversed appeared, causing her to flee. Ven deduces that this has to be Terra and the dwarves immediately blame Terra for what happened to Snow White, which causes Ven to vehemently defend his friend and rush off to prove his innocence. So as Ven rushes off, he enters the woods once again and we get a, a boss fight in the woods with a big tree unversed. Nothing really to write home about. Uh, after Ven arrives in the clearing where Snow White met Terra, in his story, Ven spots an old woman with a basket of apples who we know is the queen. She transforms herself into the old hag, gives Snow White the poison apple. So following along the lines of the, the Disney story and Ven asks her if she knows anyone by the name of Tara, if she knows where Tara is, and the lady responds that she does, and tells Ven a story about how a man with a key-shaped sword showed up, threatened her, demanding to know about Xehanort, and Ven is in disbelief that Tara would do such a thing, and we see the seeds of doubt that Venetus planted begin to sprout, spurring Ven to continue on to other worlds to catch up with his friend, and obviously this takes place canonically after Tara has already been there. The old hag stretches the truth because, well, Tara does attack the magic mirror and demand from the queen to know where Xehanort is. They were manipulating him first. So here we kind of see how the different points of view and the different stories start to like set the friends at odd with odds with one another. Ven's heard enough. He's got to get out of there. He's got to catch up with Tara. Next up, we're going to the Castle of Dreams. And when Ven arrives in the Castle of Dreams, it's in a bit different fashion than Tara did. We first see Ven pacing back and forth in some kind of trap or jail. And as the camera pans out, we realize that he is incredibly small compared to the world and the furniture around him, which are absolutely gigantic. He's caught in uh, a rodent, a uh, rat trap. Luckily, who should be around the corner to help save him than Cinderella and her friend Jacques, the mouse from the movie Cinderella. They rescue him. And introductions are brief, however, as Cinderella is called back to work by her stepmother and stepsisters. So Ven once again gets to explore another part of the Castle of Dreams world. We're not in the courtyard or the castle or anything like that. Like we're the size of a mouse and we're exploring the interiors of the wall of the house where Cinderella and the stepmother and stepsisters live. 
which is kind of cool. Again, you're visiting the same worlds, but you're you're exploring different parts of them, and which that's a great call by Square Enix because it is a smaller game, but to build out different parts of the world for different character stories so that the the replay value doesn't feel as stale. So by the time you're not getting to Aqua Story, you're like, oh God, I got to play through the same Castle of Dreams world uh, again. Uh, Jacques goes on to explain the situation to Van about how Cinderella is mistreated by her family, uh, her step family, and how her dream is to go to the Royal Ball that's happening that night. So Van and Jacques come up with a plan to help Cinderella finish her dress and realize her wish. And this is where Van and this is where Van utilizes the mouse holes in the wall to go room to room, look for the supplies that Jacques set off to help finish the dress, a pearl, threads, buttons, just stuff like that. And one room even leads to an encounter with Lucifer, not the actual devil, but the household cat, which is a pretty cool themed boss fight for this world considering Ven's size. Disney and some other shit for naming a cat Lucifer in their 1950s animated film. Absolutely insane. They finish her dress and Cinderella is absolutely thrilled with what her friends have done for her. And the closing scene in this world is Ven and Jacques spending some time together staring out at the moon as Ven reflects on his dream that he shares with Tara to be a Keyblade Master. If you're looking in terms of the timeline, this takes place before Tara's visit to the Castle of Dreams because we see in that the story of Cinderella has progressed a bit further. Her dress that Ven and Jacques helped make was destroyed by her stepsisters and her stepmother and she's in the, the fountain plaza crying when Tara finds her and comforts her. Next up, Ven is off to the Enchanted Dominion and immediately we see him wandering an empty castle wondering where the heck everyone is and he enters Aurora's chamber to find her sleeping where he then encounters... The three good fairies from the story, Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather, who explain everything to him. Maleficent cursed Aurora to sleep and then stole her heart, which we know she possessed Terra to steal her heart. So Ven, not knowing any more information than that, offers to help get it back for her. And again, in terms of the timelines, this obviously happens after Terra visits. Maleficent already has Aurora's heart. The three fairies then take Ven to the Forbidden Mountain where Maleficent's lair is located and he fights through the labyrinthine castle and ultimately succeeds freeing Aurora's heart. Maleficent, of course, does not take kindly to this, appearing to cut them off as they make their escape and immediately she notices Ven's keyblade deducing that he must be Ven and obviously Ven is surprised that she would know him or the keyblade with Maleficent going on to tell Ven that it wasn't her that took Aurora's heart, but rather Terra. And here you get, again, really cool themed Disney boss fight against Maleficent years before Sora fights her in Kingdom Hearts 1. This fight utilizes a cool mechanic with the good fairies to help you because Maleficent's, Maleficent's whole thing is her power is like putting people to sleep in the Enchanted Dominion. So you get a cool like little rhythm mini game to like, cleanse her spell that she's trying to cast to put you to sleep it's pretty cool it's it's one of the more i want to say technical but it's just got a little extra wrinkle to the boss fight that a lot of the more straightforward kingdom hearts bosses don't have after the battle maleficent tries to escape but aqua shows up happening happening to be in this world at the same time Fen, don't be fooled huh? aqua tara would never do that you know that as well as I do. Yeah. Ah, 
The truth can be most cruel, even amongst the closest of friends. After all, one never knows the secrets of another's heart. I'm sure you'll agree, Ventus. Aqua. Aqua then tries to convince Ven to come home, but remembering Venetus and the words that he said, he denies this request to return and runs off more determined than ever to find Terra before it's too late. So after Ven leaves the Enchanted Dominion, he's traveling through the lanes between on his way to whatever world he'd be going to next, and he spots Venetus go rocketing by him. Ven is surprised to see him again and gives chase to the Badlands, which the world we now know as the Keyblade Graveyard. What did you mean about Terra being a different person? Exactly what I said, idiot. The Terra you know will be gone forever. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Stupid or true? Uh, a Keyblade? Good. Let's see what you're made of. You get an initial boss fight with Vanitas, which is very, very cool. And Vanitas's boss fight theme goes super hard. But at a certain scripted sequence in the fight, Vanitas gains the upper hand, knocking Ven to the ground. And as he approaches, he taunts Ven, asking if that's all he's got. He then decides to do something that he's unsure of, but he's like, I'm going to go against my master's orders to finish Ven off as he gathers an energy blast to do so. But who should arrive in the nick of time to save Ven and then heal him? But Mickey fucking Mouse. Tell me where you got that! Keyblades are not something you use just to bully somebody around. Here, I'll show ya. We both will. Huh? Hmm. Mickey and Ven join forces to confront Venetus and ultimately force him to retreat, but not before he tells Ven that he is on probation. Consider yourself on probation. <sighs> probation? For what? Thanks for before. I owe you. The name's Ventus. What's yours? I'm Mickey! I see you've got a keyblade. Yup. I've been training under the great Yun Sid. He found out the world's are in trouble, and I sort of took off without telling him. Well, that makes both of us. And then Mickey shows Ven the star shard that he uses to travel to different worlds. It's basically like a palm-sized star that's made of glass. And if you remember when Terra first visited Yen Sid, we see a scene of Mickey running outside and then like disappearing up into the sky in like a flash of light. That's what enables him to do so is the star shard. And but like as if right on cue, as soon as Mickey introduces it, it starts to emit a bright light and Mickey is gone after the flash of light and Ben finds himself in the lanes of between in a new world, Radiant Garden. Ven lands in the Radiant Garden and he actually sees Mickey walking towards the castle. He gives chase but ultimately loses sight of him and as he approaches 
the castle gates, he's stopped by two familiar looking individuals, one that is holding a spear and one that is holding a sword. And it's unbelievably none other than Zaldin and Lexius from Organization 13. They stop Ven, who tries to explain he is just trying to find Mickey, who came this way, but they deny him, saying that they haven't seen anybody come this way. Doesn't make any sense. He's just a kid, needs to get lost. But before they can argue more about it, one of the inverse that we fight later in the, the triple team-up fight shows up, and before the two guards can do anything about it, Ven runs off to take care of it. Zaldin and Lexius, who, by the way, again, they're in their pre-nobody, pre-organization <laughs> I was about to say eras because fucking Taylor Swift, but they're in their pre-organization forms. So they're still human. They haven't lost their hearts. They aren't empty vessels. Uh, their names are Dylan and Alice, respectively. They go to give chase, but are stopped by another familiar person who we know as Vexen from Organization 13, or again, as he's known before, he turns into a nobody, Evan, because when people are turned into nobodies, X's are added into their names and you rearrange them. And that's how you get an organization name. It's kind of fun. Try it with your own name. Let me know what you get. Evan is sporting a researcher's lab coat and he chastises the two for wanting to run off wondering who will guard the castle if they do. With Evan noting that Ven is a special case, he notices immediately that his heart is devoid of darkness. He can tell right away. So I don't know if that's like just from his research that he's able to identify that. Or, or what gives it away because there's no graphical flourish or admonishment of Venon as he's running by. He just looks like a regular kid. So the timing of this is super interesting because if you remember from the Ansem reports at this time, there should be experiments happening that are being done by Ansem the Wise, who is also the ruler of Radiant Garden. And you will remember from his reports that he mentions a small king with a keyway coming to visit him. It's obviously King Mickey. So... Maybe Mickey is meeting with him at this point. Maybe this is the thing that he references. I don't know because that timeline is a little bit hazy because in the same reports, he also mentions like the like Xehanort stealing his research and, and all this other stuff. So interesting timeline for this, though. It's kind of interesting how all this stuff's kind of lining up. While Ven is chasing the Unverse, he rescues resident gajillionaire Scrooge McDuck, who is the one who gives him the three passes to Disney Town. We know how the rest of this part plays out. Ven tracks down the Inversed, meets with Terran Aqua. That's where the Inverse merges into the giant Gundam robot. They fight it. They win. The ensuing conversation takes place just the same as it was from Terra's point of view. We just get a little bit of extra stuff from Ven's point of view after Terra walks off. But just to remind you, after giving Aqua and Terra the pass to Disney Town, Ven explains that the boy in the mask, Vanitas, is taken care of, and we know why this time Mickey and Ven defeated him prior to coming to Radiant Garden. That's why he says this. He thinks the problem is solved. We have the ensuing fallout between Aqua and Terra. The only difference this time is that when Terra walks away, Ven speaks to Aqua for a brief moment. You're awful, Aqua. Mm. So now you know the truth. But the Master loves Terra. And you know that too. Were you also ordered to take me home? Aqua, now that you're a Keyblade Master, you've let it go to your head. I'm gonna go find Terra. Uh, en route to catching up with Terra, Ven spots a little boy in a lab coat surrounded by Inverse. This is another organization member 
This is little kid Zexion, who, again, is still a human, so his name is Yenzo. After defeating the Inverse, Evan arrives looking for Ienzo, thanking Ben for finding him. He explains how Ienzo is an orphan, basically raised by all of them at the castle, and Ven asks if Evan has seen Terra, to which Evan tells him to check the Outer Gardens and proceed to tell Ven that he feels they are destined to cross paths again, which is kind of an interesting thing for him to say, but at this time, I would say none of the members of the organization seem inherently hostile. Like, yeah, uh, Dylan and Alice were kind of dicks, and Evan's kind of like a rough son of a bitch, but they're not inherently evil, antagonistic towards Ven. Like, Evan is is pretty courteous towards towards Ven in their couple of encounters, so they're not at the point where they're assholes yet. That part doesn't come into play yet. Ven catches up with Tara. We know how this exchange goes. Tara tells Ven that he can't go with him, and that when Tara needs him, Ven will really be there. So when Tara leaves, Ven runs back to find Aqua, and he does, begging Aqua to let him come with her. Aqua! Ven! Were you able to find him? Yeah, but... He's gone. Right. Then I can't stay here. Let me go with you, Aqua. No, Ven. Do as I say and go home. Why won't you let me? I don't want to put you in harm's way. You understand? But she adamantly refuses, saying that she can't put Ven in harm's way. And this is just absolutely devastating to Ven because he can't understand why everyone wants to leave him behind when he just wants to help. Like, imagine your two closest friends, the people you're closest to in the world, telling you no. You can't help us. Just you'll be in the way. Just stay home. You just go back home. That's got to be really rough because Ven has proven himself more than capable of taking care of himself out in the worlds. We get kind of a flashback here of Ven training with Terra with a wooden blade. And this is where Terra gifts Ven his wooden keyblade sword. And flashback to present day, Ven has this keyblade with him for some reason. The next part is kind of funny. What happens next is Ven contemplates what to do is that younger versions of Axel and Syax walk past, who are known as Lee and Isa before their organization days. Lee makes fun of Ven's toy sword, pulling out these like stupid little tiny shield things, and he challenges Ven to a fight, which Ven ultimately wins, and he makes two new friends before leaving, leaving Radiant Garden. So <laughs> I just think it's kind of interesting, you know, in terms of, the lore in terms of the different players in Kingdom Hearts, right? In this world, we meet so many different future organization members. Terra meets Brague, right? Ventus meets Dylan, Aelis, Yenzo, Evan, and Lee, and Syx. So he meets almost half of the organization <laughs> in his time in this world. So shooting those threads into the future titles, connecting this game story more closely with the events that have already happened. So we're entering the back half of the worlds, and if you remember from Terra's story, not too many interesting things happen in these worlds. They're not as interesting as, as the front half of the game, I think. So we'll kind of speed through them in order to get to the conclusion. But Ven is determined to make friends in the back half of these worlds. So he's like, every time someone asks him, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm just trying to make friends. Like, that's kind of his like primary motivating goal to keep visiting all these different worlds. 
The first world Ben arrives in is the Olympus Coliseum. You meet young Hercules, you meet Phil the trainer, and you meet Zack Fair. Uh, Herc and Zack both want to be trained as heroes, but Phil only has the patience to train one of them, and he proposes whoever wins the games is the one he'll train, leaving Hercules dismayed and dejected. Ven offers to train with Hercules to help him improve, which he does. Zack and Hercules make it to the final round to face each other to see who Phil will train, but a swarm of unverse attack the town. Ven runs off to deal with the situation, but Hercules appears right behind him to help, followed shortly by Zack and after the Inverse are handled, Phil agrees to continue training Hercules, saying that because of his quick action abandoning the match to help the town, that shows the mark of a true hero. Phil then tells Ven that he was never going to stop training Hercules, that Herc just needed a bit of motivation, which it appears to have worked. You know, lying for the right reason, that's never that's never gone wrongly before, ever has it. No, it's it's totally fine. Then he goes to Disney Town using the passes that Scrooge gave him. Again, like, I don't like this world. I just don't understand it. I don't think it serves any purpose. Like, if you took it out narratively, like, it wouldn't serve any purpose. I understand it's a minigame world. Ven arrives in Disney Town, and again, Pete is in his Captain Justice persona. He arrives to explain to Ven about the Dream Festival. Ven explains to him that he's just trying to make some friends. He stumbles across Queen Minnie and the three... Uh, Duck nephews of Donald Duck, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Their ice cream machine is broken, so Ven fixes it for him, and this somehow qualifies him to win the Million Dreams Award, which is the Upstanding Citizen Award for the town, because, uh, I mean, reasons? It's hilarious because it's literally just an ice cream machine. Like, <laughs> it's literally just an ice cream machine. Those break at McDonald's all the time. And they don't get citizen awards for for fixing those. It's just just an ice cream machine. Not that they ever fix them, but I digress. And as we know in Terra's story, Ven, Aqua, and Terra all tie to win the award together. Pete gets banished for his shenanigans and trying to steal the award, and he's subsequently rescued by Maleficent. Ven leaves Disney Town while traversing the lanes between. Ven encounters and fights a rather large unburst in space before it escapes onto the ship that is the. Lilo and Stitch level deep space. In the chaos of the monster boarding the ship, Stitch escapes containment and encounters Ven. And Ven notices that Stitch has constructed a star-shaped object that looks like the wayfinders that he, Terra, and Aqua all carry. And Stitch crudely communicates that he has met Terra and Aqua, also calling the wayfinder his friend circle. But there's no time to spare. The inverse is destroying the ship. Ven rushes off to stop it. Stitch gets cornered by Captain Gantu, who breaks Stitch's Wayfinder, but Stitch manages to escape and join up with Ven to help defeat the Unverse, which is destroying the ship. And this is a timed boss fight where the, the Unverse can destroy the engines and blow the entire ship up. If you're not using the reaction commands, teaming up with Stitch to get it off of the engines when it like latches onto them. Stitch conveys his sadness at the loss of his Wayfinder, but Ven explains to him that friendship is more than just an object. Gantu catches up with them, and Ven and Stitch escape the ship with Stitch blasting into hyperspace to escape, leaving Ven in the lanes between, closing out the deep space story. Next off, we're off to Neverland. The This world actually has some plot-relevant information that happens in it. Before we get to land on Neverland proper, when we select the world, we see that Mickey is facing a dark portal that has opened, and suddenly, Vanitas is behind him, telling him to move it. Ven wakes up, laying on the ground to the Lost Boys and Tinkerbell, and they tell him that they are going to look for a shooting star, to which Ven agrees to accompany them. 
On the way, they meet up with Peter Pan. He wants to go steal the pirate treasure from Hook, but Ven decides to follow up on the shooting star and the group parts ways with Tinkerbell accompanying Ven. In the Indian village, Ven finds Mickey's star shard, deducing that this must be the shooting star that they saw, and he wonders if Mickey is here. Hook shows up out of nowhere to kidnap Tinkerbell and take the star shard. Hook tells Ven and Pan to meet him at Mermaid Lagoon, and as he departs, a swarm of Unverse show up for Ven to fight. As Pan and Ven meet up to discuss a plan, the pirate ship begins firing cannons at them. Tinkerbell appears, explaining to Pan how she was rescued by a man with a funny sword, who we know as Terra from his story. This does actually happen. Pan and Ven split up with Pan taking care of the cannons and Ven confronting and fighting Hook, who gets chased off by his old nemesis, the crocodile that TikToks. Ven recovers the star shard, leaves his wooden keyblade given to him by Terra behind in the empty treasure chest to fill with whatever treasures they want. Very symbolic of Ven leaving that relic from his friend behind, a signal of his character growth. Ven ultimately reclaims possession of the star shard, and when he touches it, it activates, sending him off to who knows where, and here is where we transition scenes. We see a familiar sight of two individuals sitting on the steps of Yen Sid's mysterious tower, and wouldn't you fucking know it, it's none other than Donald and Goofy there because they are concerned they are there because they are concerned about King Mickey's whereabouts when, bam, Ventus appears right in front of them with Mickey's star shard. And before Ven can explain himself, Goofy and Donald excitedly rush him inside. <laughs> nope, doesn't look like him. Oh. Huh? Look, that feller's got the star shard the king borrowed. King? Oh, you must be talking about Mickey. I saw him. What? <laughs> huh? Hey, take it easy. Let's go. The three go to see Yen Sid, who notes that in his discussions with Ericus that Ven was ordered to return home, which Ven lowers his head, but Yen Sid gives a slight smile and notes how Mickey has the same trouble following instructions. Donald presents the Star Shard as a clue to Mickey's whereabouts, and with the Star Shard, Yen Sid is able to use some of his plot magic ex machina powers to locate Mickey, and they simply see an image of Mickey laying on a deserted cracked wasteland with his keyblade, struggling to move before Yen Sid's vision flickers and goes out. Donald and Goofy are gung-ho to go and rescue the king, but Yen Sid pretty much tells them that they're not strong enough, to which Ven volunteers to go find him because he recognizes the place he is, having been there before. And of course, it is the Keyblade Graveyard, and Yen Sid agrees with Ven racing towards the Keyblade Graveyard to save Mickey. Ven arrives and quickly finds Mickey unconscious, but as he goes to his aid, who should approach than none other? Then Master Xehanort. Ven eyes him suspiciously, but suddenly there's a flash and a bunch of repressed memories come rushing back into Ven's mind of Xehanort dropping him off with Ericus and more. Ah, yes. So you're starting to realize what you lost. Oh, but not for good. You had to lose in order to find. Now it can all be yours again, if you only reach out and take it. Reclaim the part that left you. Clash with him, 
pure light against pure darkness to forge the ultimate key. The all-powerful Keyblade! Xehanort reveals to him the truth, urging him to reclaim the part of himself he lost, to clash with pure darkness with his heart of pure light, to make the ultimate key, the Keyblade. As Ven hears this, the painful memories become too much to bear as he falls to his need. And as Ven hears this, the painful memories become too much to bear as he falls to his knees. This is where Xehanort explains about the Keyblade, spelled with an X. X-blade, or Key, or Chai, or Chi. Not the Keyblades you and I carry. Key, the most ancient word. Some say Kai, but the meaning is the same. Death, a letter that spells endings. And I have the power to make it. Correct. Ericus knows it too. He knows exactly what you are. The master? Haven't you ever wondered why he never granted you permission to leave his side? To grow stronger. Ericus was frightened of you. If you were to learn the truth, realize what you are, he never trusted you. Xehanort opens a massive portal of darkness and blows Ven and Mickey away with a powerful blast of air, urging Ven to confront Ericus and ask the man for himself. And once you know it conveniently that the portal puts us out in the in the lanes between right in front of the land of departure, super, super convenient to move the plot forward. He lands and Ericus is relieved to see him, but Ventus isn't having any of it. He's frustrated. He's angry. He confronts Ericus, accusing him of keeping him trapped there. And when Ericus challenges him on what he has heard, Ven reveals that he knows he is supposed to be some kind of weapon, a, a keyblade. Ericus, touching the scarring on his face as if remembering something, tells himself that Xehanort could never let it go, as we have a flashback of a disagreement between himself and Xehanort. Wait, Xehanort! There is a reason the precepts bar us from such knowledge. Why do you seek the Keyblade? Would you blanket all the worlds in darkness? Reduce them to nothing? But darkness did cover the world once, in legend. We know so little about the Keyblade War. Only that it was just the beginning. Amidst that crisis, a precious light was found. It is a curious tale, and one worth exploring. They say ruin brings about creation. So what then would another Keyblade War bring? When the darkness falls, will we be found worthy of the precious light the legend speaks of? I must have these answers. The Keyblade needs to be forged, and with it the door to the Keyblade War unlocked. Fool, you would risk an apocalypse out of sheer curiosity? I will never allow it, Sam. Not while I live! But once again, you have it all wrong, Erechus. Darkness is a beginning, you see, not an end. And 
birth every one of us emerges from darkness into a world of light, do we not? Poetic excuses. If words won't dissuade you, only one thing will! Darkness taken you, Xehanort! And back in the present, Erica steals himself to do what must be done, tell, telling Ven that he must exist no more. Now we know how this part of the story plays out in Terra's story. Terra arrives just in time to rescue Ven and confront Ericus, but we don't see the conclusion of this from Ven's point of view as he gets tossed in a portal, but we know that Terra fights off Ericus and that Xehanort kills him. So we finally get to see where Ven goes when Terra tosses him in this portal, and it's to the Destiny Islands, but Ven has no meeting with a young Riku or a young Sora like Terra did, but rather it is Vanitas who is sitting there waiting for him. Going somewhere? I'm through with you. Well, I'm just getting started with you. You're strong enough now to fulfill your purpose. So what are you waiting for? Join with me right here and now. Become the Keyblade. No, I won't do it. He told me the only way the Keyblade can be forged is if you and me fight. Well, guess what? I'm not fighting. Vanitas comments on how he was always too weak to talk back, and now a flood of memories come rushing back to Ventus once again, and we see him in the Keyblade Graveyard training with Xehanort, as Ven is surrounded by Shadow Heartless. Ven begs Xehanort for help, pleading that he isn't strong enough, and Xehanort tries to coax him into giving into the darkness in order to survive. Ven can only brace himself in fear, however, as the shadows descend on him, and as he lay there in pain, that is when Xehanort makes his decision. Using his Keyblade, he extracts the darkness from within Ven, and it takes shape as the one we now know as Vanitas. We come back to the present, and Vanitas tells Ven that if Ven won't fight willingly, then he will simply kill Terra and Aqua to make him fight, and for Ven to try and stop him at the Keyblade graveyard, and he departs. Ven hesitates for a moment, and holds out his Wayfinder, promising to end this once and for all, and he decides to give chase. Ven arrives in the Keyblade Graveyard, and we know how the events here basically unfold from Terra's point of view. The trio meet in the middle of all the dead Keyblades. Ven asks Terra and Aqua to put an end to him, and that is when Xehanort and Vanitas arrive to kick off the climactic final battle, except this time we see it from Ven's point of view. Well, as we all know, Ven gets taken out of commission pretty quickly when he goes to help Terra, and he's grabbed and subsequently frozen by Master Xehanort, who proceeds to toss him off a cliff, only for Aqua to catch him. As Aqua holds the frozen Ven, who should come to taunt her? Then none other than Brag, aka Zigbar. He's shown up to this fight as well, clearly still working for Xehanort. He tells her that she can't be happy with Terra killing Ericus and to go settle things while he looks after the popsicle Ventus, and here we get a slow zooming shot on Bragg slash Zigbar's face 
fresh with scars and an eye patch, looking a little more how we remember him from Kingdom Hearts 2, all courtesy of his fight with Terra. But there's something else that's different. When Bragg fought Terra, his eyes were a different color, but now they are piercing yellow, just like Xehanort's and just like those who have fallen into darkness. Ventus struggles to move and glares angrily at Zigbar, who taunts him further, and Aqua tells Bragg that he will never drive them apart as she sets Ven down to challenge him. Obviously, this is a fight in Aqua's story because we don't get to see it here, and it's obviously played out there. But Aqua defeats Bragg, and he retreats, saying that he hopes that he bought the old man enough time. As Ven continues to struggle to move, he sees Vanitas plummeting out of the sky and yells Aqua's name, but to no avail. As she turns, Vanitas strikes a devastating blow, knocking her to the ground. Vanitas stands over her and raises his keyblade to deliver a killing blow as Ven struggles to move. But just before Vanitas can finish Aqua, Ven melts the ice and confronts him, and this is a ratcheted up version of the prior fight with Vanitas, complete with great, great music. He rides the keyblades that whirl around in the air. It's, oh God, it's such a great fight. It's, it's so, so cool. Ven wins the initial conflict, shattering Vanitas's mask and causing Vanitas's body to begin to fade away. And here, we're finally going to get to see the face of the boy behind the mask. What Vanitas actually looks like. What we see when the mask fades away is none other than the visage of Sora, but not his normal brown spiky hair. It's jet black, and his eyes are piercing yellow instead of a deep blue. And this is so fucking cool because Haley Joel Osment gets to play an evil version of his character, and he absolutely revels in it. He loves it, and he absolutely kills it. Vanita says that now that his body is fading, they will have to reunite, and the Keyblade will be forged as darkness emanates from Vanitas surrounding Ven. You've done it, Ventus. <sighs> now that my body is about to perish, you and I will have to join together. <sighs> the Keyblade will be forged! <sighs> suddenly, the Unversed emerge from the darkness, surrounding and holding Ven down, and suddenly, it all makes sense as Ven figures it out. The inverse come from you? <laughs> it happened when you and I were split into two. The negativity took shape as these monsters. They are what I feel. A horde of fledgling emotions under my control. I released them in all the worlds I could. Hoping to lure you away from home and isolate you from your master. We needed to make you stronger. The Unversed were the perfect opponents. And better yet, no matter how many times you defeat them, their negativity flows right back into me. You never stood a chance against us, Ventus. With Ven unable to move, Vanitas basically walks right into him so they can rejoin, and there's a giant explosion of light as Ven yells in pain. We awaken in Ven slash Vanitas' heart, and we know this is the case because we're in a dark void standing on a stained glass platform that depicts both Ven and Vanitas, the two sides of his heart. 
Vanitas then descends holding the Keyblade, which, if I can just have a little side tangent here, is the stupidest looking fucking weapon in all of video games. It's simply two kingdom keys that are crossed, and it's got a long sword blade protruding from the end of it, and there's like biblically, biblically accurate angelic swirls coming out from the sides. It's so fucking dumb. Just go look a picture of it. It's 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 dumb. I hate it. For something that's supposed to be the ultimate weapon in the universe, it looks fucking stupid. But something isn't quite right. The Keyblade looks like it has some shattered slash broken parts, almost like it's incomplete. And Vanitas says as much. Our union was not finished. The Keyblade shouldn't stay broken like this. Join me now. We can complete the Keyblade! I've got a better idea. How about I destroy you both? <laughs> the Keyblade is made of your heart too, idiot. If you destroy it, your heart will vanish forever. Whatever it takes. Anything to save Terra and Aqua. It's always about your friends, isn't it? Ben responds saying it doesn't matter that he'll do anything to save Terra and Aqua. And I'm going to insert the audio here because he says the line. He says the famous line, the memed line. It's fantastic. I love it. It's so great. At least I have some. I've become a part of their heart. Just as they become a part of mine. My friends are my power. And I'm theirs. This final boss fight is so fucking cool. It's a showdown inside of Ben's heart. I love this metaphorical shit. This is Kingdom Hearts when it's at its absolute best. A fight for the most powerful weapon that can control all of existence inside the heart of a boy who's struggling against the literal dark manifestation of himself. Inner turmoil. Ugh. That's that top tier Kingdom Hearts shit. This fight reaches some anime level shit with this what it essentially ends with a beam struggle to conclude the fight as Ven strikes the final blow against Vanitas. The Keyblade begins to flow away from Vanitas as he makes a desperate attempt to grab it before closing his eyes and floating down into darkness as the Keyblade shatters. Ven's Keyblade disappears as well, shattering in his hands, and as Vanitas falls towards the stained glass platform, he disintegrates into particles of light, which change the stained glass into a picture of just Ven, a representation that he has regained his heart. But Ven, too, begins to glow and also disappears in a shower of light, and we see his heart go shooting off into the darkness. We then transition to the lanes between and see Ven and Aqua in their suits of armor, unconscious. Mickey approaches with the Star Shard, grabbing all three of them and whisking them off to apparent safety. We get one last scene before the end, and it's similar to the iconic openings of the games. Ven splashing into water as he descends into the dark depths. And as he does, he speaks just a few words, saying that this place seems familiar and that he remembers... Now, this is your heart, he says. And credits roll on Ven's story.
where, oh, where in this epilogue do we even begin with this one? So it's obvious that Ven's story deals a bit more with our other antagonist, Vanitas. And the revelations for his and Ven's connection give us a deeper look into the motivations of Xehanort. And we can fully construct a timeline of Ven's journey now that we have this information. Ven started off as the apprentice of Master Xehanort. I'll use the word apprentice loosely here. As it's clear from the start, he was only using Ven to try and forge the Keyblade, the one true Keyblade. Ven was pretty weak and timid during his time with Xehanort, so Xehanort used forbidden knowledge and the power of darkness to basically extract the darkness from Ven's heart and form him into this being that Xehanort names Vanitas. We know that this has devastating consequences on Ven's heart, shattering it, leaving him near comatose. We see this in the very opening scenes of the game. We discussed them in part one, where Xehanort, knowing what he's done, decides to just leave Ven on Destiny Island to die, which he would have if his heart wasn't mended by a new heart on its way to be born, drawn by Ven's damaged light. Upon seeing that Ven would survive, Xehanort leaves him with Ericus to be trained. The rest of Ven's story plays out like we see in the game. Xehanort uses Vanitas to release Unversed into the worlds, pulling Terra and Aqua away from the Land of Departure. Vanitas taunts Ven, playing on his fear of losing Terra to coax him out of the nest as well, to make him stronger for the task of confronting Vanitas and forging the Keyblade. The most interesting thing about Ven's story is we get a lot of insight into Xehanort's ambitions. Mostly in Ericus's flashback to their initial confrontation, Ericus warns Xehanort that the knowledge of the Keyblade and the Keyblade War were forbidden for a reason. It's not Xehanort's corruption by the darkness that fuels his goals, it's knowledge. And Xehanort states that this is the case. He also goes on to say how darkness did once cover the entire land when the Keyblade War raged, and within that darkness was found a precious light that remade the worlds as we know today. He wants to know what caused that, why it happened, and he believes that by forging the Keyblade that the truth can be revealed. Ericus's line of you would risk an apocalypse for sheer curiosity is pretty telling because we've, we see this in a lot of kind of pop culture media too, movies, TV shows. The pursuit of knowledge isn't inherently bad, but obsession with knowledge that could end the world, but you're willing to pursue it anyways, is obviously a bad thing. Or pushing everybody away from you in the pursuit of knowledge that ultimately just doesn't benefit anybody, not a great thing. Starting another Keyblade War to see what would happen is foolishness. Speaking of the Keyblade, the Master Key, the X-Blade, the one which all other Keyblades are modeled after, it is integral to Xehanort's plan and an object that the wielders in the Keyblade War apparently fought over. Not much is revealed about why this is important, but I feel like I should fill you in on this secret now. The Keyblade is the one true key, and in a similar fashion that regular Keyblades are linked with their master's hearts, the Keyblade or the X-Blade is linked with the ultimate heart, right? It is the one true key, and it is linked inextricably with Kingdom Hearts. 
not the man-made Kingdom Hearts from one or two, not the one Anson was trying to make or Zemnis was trying to make, the one true place where all hearts are born. We know from the legends that Kingdom Hearts and its light was lost when the darkness of man grew too great and the Keyblade War broke out fighting over its light. Whoever holds the Keyblade can summon the true Kingdom Hearts. They are linked. Okay, and with that, we're going down the slippery slope because if the Keyblade can summon Kingdom Hearts, what the fuck actually is Kingdom Hearts? Because I mentioned that the man-made ones from 1 and 2 are not the actual Kingdom Hearts. We've seen a couple of examples in the series in Kingdom Hearts 1. Ansem tried to create Kingdom Hearts using the stolen hearts of the world he destroyed. That was known as a Kingdom Hearts of Worlds Hearts. Hidden behind the big door, the light of the hearts of those worlds ultimately destroyed Ansem. In Kingdom Hearts 2, Xemnas tried to create a Kingdom Hearts by gathering the hearts of people, which he succeeded because Sora helped him, but he was ultimately stopped and undone by Sora and his friends. These two are not the real Kingdom Hearts. Very important to distinguish. Kingdom Hearts can best be described as it is an aggregate of hearts. It is the very heart of all that is, of all the connected hearts of all worlds and beings. The one true Keyblade is its counterpart, and the one true Keyblade can be forged by pitting a heart of pure light against a heart of pure darkness, although this doesn't appear to work as the Keyblade Vanitas wields at the end is incomplete, and as such, the Kingdom Hearts at the end of Birth by Sleep that Xehanort summons is incomplete as well. The true Kingdom Hearts can only exist as a perfect union of all worlds' hearts called by the Keyblade. The worlds being separate wouldn't matter. The Keyblade could unite the hearts of all worlds, forming the true Kingdom Hearts. Follow me on that. You with me on that. Even people that have played all the games and studied the lore, this is still a difficult concept because ultimately we have not seen what Kingdom Hearts actually is yet other than a moon, a physical representation, a kind of center of the universe type of idea. I know that this is significantly more information than what is revealed in Ven's story, but some of this is told us in Xehanort's secret reports, his letters, which I'll read to you and discuss in part four, but it's relevant now, so I'll explain some of it now. At the end of the story, Ven and his Keyblade disappear, and although Mickey rescues him and Aqua in the lanes between, we don't really know what actually happens to them. The last we see of Ven is him sinking into a dark watery abyss, but seeing a bright light Noting how this is familiar and that this is your heart, the heart that healed his shattered heart at the very beginning of the story, back in part one. So while Ven seems to have survived, we saw his heart fly off. We can deduce that he's probably not in a great place at the conclusion of this story. Speaking of hearts flying off and Ven, here's another question brought up that I want you to think about because I'm not going to reveal the answer right now. I'm going to leave some lingering questions to go into Aqua's story, but... Why does Vanitas look like an evil Sora? And the counterside of that question, why does Ven look like a carbon copy of Roxas? Why then does Roxas the nobody of Sora look like Ven when all other nobodies in the game except Namine look like their somebody counterparts? 
Axel looks the same as he did when we meet his young self in in this game. We meet several organization members in Ben's story that look the exact same way when we encounter them as nobodies. Why does Vanitas look like Sora? Why does Ven look like Roxas? Why do Sora and his nobody not look alike? Like I said, I don't think right now is the time to reveal this information, but keep it in mind because it's very important. Again, also, shout out to Haley Joel Osment getting to play an evil version of Sora is absolutely insane. He had a good time with it. Absolutely very, very cool. So, with those revelations, where do things stand? We don't really get a resolution on Terra. It's still unknown what happened to Terra slash Terra Xehanort at the end, but it appears for now that Ven has thwarted Xehanort's ultimate plan to forge the Keyblade by defeating Vanitas and destroying his own heart, or at least severely damaging it, with his heart appearing to go somewhere? Meanwhile, Aqua and him were found in the lanes between, rescued by Mickey, and that is really all that we know right now. Whether or not they are okay is a mystery, but we're going to wrap it up here after a big, <laughs> big lore dump at the end of this episode. Aqua's story remains to tie up the loose ends. So, oh boy. I hope that was informative for you. I hope the story becomes a little more clear. And I thank you guys so much for sticking with me on that roller coaster. Like I said, Ven's story, Aqua's story, probably going to be shorter episodes because we got so much information out of the way in Terra's story. I think that's good, though. Makes for a good listening experience after the two hour and 15 minute extravaganza that was part one of Birth by Sleep with Terra's story. That is where things stand right now. We're not really sure what's become of Ven. We're not really sure what's become of Aqua. We'll have to experience that story when we play through Aqua's story in the next part. Guys, thank you. Thank you so much for coming along on this ride with me. I think when I look back at Guiding Keys, I'll circle Birth by Sleep Part 2, Ven, as the point where the lore starts going a bit nutty because there's a lot of stuff coming into play, a lot of threads being tossed forward into the future games to connect to those, and a lot of threads being tossed beyond the future games to set up the rest of the art. Birth by Sleep does some heavy lifting to set up ties to the original games and set up ties that go into the newer games that are about to follow. It's a very, very important title. So that being said, again, thank you guys so much. Love you. It's awesome that you guys are still willing to listen. The reception of these episodes has been really great, probably just because you enjoy me ranting about this insanity of a game. If you want to join the discussion, if you want to tweet at me, if you have questions, if you want to talk about Kingdom Hearts, if you want to talk about video games in general, go to linktr.ee forward slash unlockables podcast. My Twitter's there. I'm not calling it X. I refuse to. My Instagram is there. You can join the Discord. We've got a really, really cool small Discord with a bunch of video game content creators in it and people that love to talk about games. We love to talk about sports. We love to talk about music. It's it's a great time. So if you want to talk more, be involved in the conversation, go check all that stuff out. But until next time, you know what's coming. Let me leave you with the catchphrases, right? It's not just the story of video games. It is the story of you. And may your heart be your guiding key. <laughs>